Grace, mercy, and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. People who live in the public eye, especially those whose lives are very public, often seek to find ways to connect with those who are watching them. We can see this quite often in the ads that are running in preparation for the elections this fall, as each person running for office tries to create a narrative about this is my story. I grew up in this kind of a house. My parents had these kinds of jobs. This is where I shop. See, I am just like you. Even in the coverage of the passing of the queen, we've seen some of this as her story has been told and there's been effort put into finding ways to let people connect with her life. That during World War II, she was a mechanic that helped carry on the war effort. Or that when she was on vacation at one of her estates, she liked to drive her own car. We all know she lived a very different life than one most of us could ever imagine. But look, she was just like you and I. These types of connections are important because it gives us an opportunity to try and see into the lives of those who live differently than us. And for them, it's important so that they can feel like they have connected with the people they, inter they represent and lead. Our epistle lesson for today tries to do some of this for St. Paul. St. Paul, when he writes his letter to Timothy, the first of these letters, is nearing the end of his life. He's in prison in Rome, and his status as the greatest missionary in the Christian church is well established and without doubt. Now he's writing to Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor, probably a young man, installed at the congregation in Ephesus, a church that Paul himself had started. And now St. Paul was writing to Timothy because Paul knew the challenges this congregation faced and was trying to encourage Timothy as he led them through it. This congregation in Ephesus had a lot that they were struggling with. They struggled with what it meant to be faithful to God. They were struggling with what it meant to be faithful even within their own marriages. And they were really struggling with how to live life together as one congregation. Division existed in all aspects of that congregational life, and people did not get along. And so Paul's writing to Timothy, and he's telling Timothy, as their pastor, you have two things you need to do. First, you need to call people to repentance. Get them to repent of the sins that they have committed that have damaged their relationship with God and with their neighbor. And then second, forgive those sins of which they repent. It seems easy enough. Preach the law and then deliver the forgiveness of sins. But this was not to be an easy task. Because in response to that, while Timothy had those two things to do, the congregation had to do two other things. First, they had to be willing to repent of their sins. And then second, they had to learn to forgive one another. This meant that they needed to confess that they themselves had sinned. Not just their neighbors, but they themselves had done something wrong. 
no one really likes to do this. And so Paul tells Timothy in the verses just before the ones we heard today, the way that you do this is preach the law. Stand before your congregation and ask, which of you has been lawless and disobedient? Which of you has been ungodly, sinful, unholy, profane, struck their mother or father, murdered, been sexually immoral, practiced homosexuality, taken advantage of an employee, lied, lied about someone else, or done anything else contrary to sound doctrine? Paul says to Timothy, stand before the congregation and ask them this. And tell them the law was written so that you would not know the sins that your neighbor has done, but the sins you yourself have committed. Because only when you realize this can you be forgiven. Only when you realize your own sin can the damage caused by your sin be healed. Repentance is a difficult thing. Calling to people to repentance is even harder. We can see this in the way that we interact with children because children are the ones we honestly call to repentance most often. Did you do this? No. Are you sure you didn't do this? No, it wasn't me. Well, then who did? I don't know. Maybe she did it. We can see this with children because we have these conversations all the time. But if we have them with adults, we'd hear the same thing. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. There was some other reason this happened. Because no one likes to take ownership for the sin they've done. It's much easier to excuse it or blame someone else or find some way to duck responsibility for what we have done. And if we do confess, we certainly don't want to be proud of what we've done. We'd really rather no one ever found out about it. So Paul knows Timothy's going to have a hard time getting this done. People are going to resist what he has to say, and some will even want to deny others who have repented the forgiveness they deserve. Because they should not be forgiven. Their sin was so great, they might say to one another. They don't deserve to have unity with us. So Paul knows that he is having a hard conversation with a hard group of people. So he pauses for a moment and takes the spotlight off of them and places it on himself. He takes a moment and tears away the titles he's earned as the greatest missionary in the Christian church, the founder of their congregation, and all the other accolades that can be laid at his feet. And he tries to connect with the people with whom he is speaking. And so he says one of the most beautiful things in all of his letters. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of which I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Think of what he is saying here. Chief of sinners, though I be, is what he says to the people in Ephesus. I have committed all of these sins, and yet Christ came to forgive me. And if he forgives me, certainly he forgives you. And if he has forgiven you, certainly you can forgive your neighbor.
Paul is doing here is he's reminding the Ephesians, he's reminding Timothy of the part of his life that most people would prefer not to talk about. Because before Paul became the greatest missionary in the Christian church, he was its greatest attacker and persecutor. His job prior to becoming a Christian was to go from town to town and identify who was a Christian so they could be arrested and persecuted and that church could be shut down. In the book of Acts, he's recorded as standing and holding the coats for people who throw stones at Stephen, the man who dies and becomes the first martyr of the Christian church. It's this Paul that is now writing and encouraging people to repent and forgive. It's this Paul that's pointing the spotlight on his life because if God can forgive those sins, certainly he can forgive yours as well. And if the church can learn to forgive and accept Paul and bring them into their fellowship of believers, then certainly they can learn to forgive and accept their neighbors as well. Because this forgiveness, this unity that comes through the love of God flows not from us or our desires. It doesn't even come from Paul, but it comes from Christ himself. The Son of God who took on human flesh was born of the Virgin Mary, who came and lived with us so that he could face the same temptations as us, so that he could live the same kind of life as us, so that he could know the trials we faced, so that he could open his arms and welcome you home and forgive the sins where you have done wrong. He did this not so that he could create some kind of false connection with his constituents or create this some kind of reality that he was just like us, but he did this so that he could call you brother and sister, so that you, the ones he has chosen to love, would know for certain that he has loved you and he loves you still. In our gospel lesson for today, Jesus tells us two parables. Both deal with something being lost, a sheep and a coin. And in those parables, the shepherd and the women, the woman who have lost the sheep and the coin, are frantic over what they have lost. So they go and they search for it, and upon finding it, they both do the same thing. They rejoice, and then they invite their neighbors to join in the celebration of what they have found. Because, as Jesus says, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need of repentance. In telling this parable, Jesus is warning the Pharisees and scribes. He's warning those who are part of the church who are not willing to forgive those who have sinned against them. That God does not rejoice in those who have led perfect lives because those people do not exist. Instead, he rejoices in the one who has been found by his son, who has repented of their sins and been restored to life in his family. Because it is through those moments of forgiveness, it's through those moments of rejoicing that the mercy of God is on display, not just in the life of the one who's forgiven, but is shown to the world in desperate need of God's grace and mercy. So we hear this encouragement from Paul, and we're reminded of his own life, his own need for mercy and forgiveness 
because it reminds us of our needs as well. And it assures us that if Paul himself can be forgiven for the things that he did against the people of God, then certainly we can be forgiven as well. But Paul challenges us to go one step further, just as he did with Timothy and the Ephesians so long ago. Don't be proud of the sins you've committed but don't let the forgiveness God has given you for those sins be hidden either. Because it is in this way of telling the world around us that we have fallen short, but God has forgiven those shortcomings, that others would know the depth of God's love, grace, and mercy as well. Because I can guarantee that there are some here today who probably wonder, does God really know what I have done? Could he really forgive the sin I've committed? Some who wondered if others knew what I've done, certainly I would not be welcome here. Paul has put this challenge forth. Know for certain God has forgiven your sins. When you hear the sins that others have committed, remind them of that forgiveness. Rejoice in their repentance. And join with the angels in heaven celebrating that the lost have been found. And God's joy is full of in his mercy and grace given to you. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.